Hi, welcome to the Creative Review Podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, and for today's show, I'm going to be talking to Francesca Panetta, who's been working at The Guardian for around 11 years, and most recently has been heading up its VR team. So we're going to be talking a lot about VR, what makes a good VR project, and why newspapers and other media outlets should be investing in it. Francesca is also this year heading to Harvard University to be one of this year's Neiman Fellows, and we'll get into that, what that will involve here too. Finally, Francesca is also one of Creative Review's picks for our Creative Leaders 50 list this year, which is an annual list we put together in partnership with Workfront to celebrate the 50 people we think are using creativity to change the organisations they work in, but also the wider world to make it a better place. So, after that very lengthy introduction, welcome to the CR Podcast, Francesca. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So, today we're going to look a little bit at the journey that your career has taken, which I believe has had a fair few twists and turns Mm -hmm. along the way. But maybe just to start and set the scene, could you just talk a bit about what you've been doing most recently at The Guardian? Sure. For the last uh, two or so years, I've been working primarily in virtual reality. So that is trying to look at what journalism, what it looks like in virtual reality. So not Mm. writing about it, which some people think that I do, actually making VR pieces uh, around subjects that we care a lot about at The Guardian. Very good. And so how how do you choose the subjects that you... You take on. So that's, that's like one of the trickiest things, trying to think like what translates well. And um, what I've been concentrating on mainly is first person experiences. So trying to let you step into the shoes of someone else and trying to pick very experiential um, topics. Mm. So things like um, the first piece we did was around solitary confinement in American prisons. What's it like to be in a six by nine foot cell for 24 hours a day as a prisoner? Um, we did another piece around um, what it's like to be a baby, the kind of visual mm. development that goes from um, zero to six months old, where you're just beginning to be able to see and be able to see in depth and be able to see in colours. Um, what it's like to have autism. Yeah. Um, so those kind of things, which are, they're pieces that we would we would do at The Guardian and care about, but are like very, um, kind of very physical and very experiential. Mm. And how does it fit with the rest of The Guardian sort of newsroom? I mean, are you responding to news stories, but or presumably it's a lot, much longer process? Yeah, I mean, I think if you think of it more like features yeah. rather than breaking news. So we, we do have like, a range of timelines at The Guardian from specials that we work on, investigative journalism that can be going on for a year to like quick turnaround stuff. And this is definitely like the long form stuff. Mm. Um, to make a good piece takes at least six months, if not longer. So um, it's not responsive generally. Uh, we, I've invited um, other journalists from the organisation to come and chat with me around ideas and we did a piece around forensics for instance which came from a science reporter um, who was looking into kind of the latest forensics techniques and then we built a, a, a CGI crime scene where you got to be the forensics investigator and walk around and try yeah, and I discover <laughs> you know what the crime was and um, so that was a good example of a really good um, ex- idea that had come from the newsroom but but to be honest most of the things we as the VR studio come up with the ideas we thrash around would it actually make a good VR piece what does that mean Uh, we kind of storyboard it out really intensely before we invest in actually going into production so there's a a lot of thought around 
if it if it does translate. Yeah, because presumably it's it's really thinking in quite a different way about a story, isn't it, to to actually bring it to life in VR. I mean, are there certain rules or things that you've constructed along the way that that help? I mean, I I think it's I think of it as being very kind of um, cross discipline. So it's, some people think of it as film. So mm. I think people come from a background of film think, oh, well, it's just, you know, 360 film. Um, I think of it more as kind of parallels to kind of immersive theatre, like being in the middle of an immersive experience and having something happen and you're either reacting to it or you're watching it or participating in it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other work that I did in a bit, but I've done quite a lot of location-based work and I really see the parallels of... Um, kind of location-specific artwork as well being relevant to this. Um, and then there's the kind of very news element of, like, we write a story about something, this is giving you a chance to kind of step inside that story and be there on a, on a very basic level. Mm. And how, I mean, do you feel that this is something new? I mean, obviously there are the news organisations doing it, the New York Times perhaps mm. is the most obvious yeah. comparison point, but do you feel it's something really that news organisations should be embracing and taking on? I mean, what extra dimension does it bring to the to the guardian i think to be able to place someone there is a really big deal mm. um you feel very differently your engagement with a story is really different i mean there's been research done around uh, by the bbc a while ago around um what the follow-up after doing a vr experience is how how interested you are in that subject how much you go and read more around it um lots of ngos have done work around how much people give uh, money to a charity after seeing an experience i think your, your engagement with that as a story changes um but i think just by doing it you can kind of get that it's kind of obvious if you place someone in that situation it's going yeah. to have quite a different like visceral effect than it does reading about it Saying that, I think it's the, the technology is quite early, so I wouldn't be saying like everyone has to do all their stories in VR because that's the only way. Now it's not. Yeah, it's expensive to make. The distribution's still really early. The technology's still clunky. It's difficult. So I think that it will be really interesting as the technology develops to see how more and more of those sto stories can be incorporated into immersive forms of of different types. Yes, because obviously part of the challenge is actually getting people to. I guess make the effort in a way to to download the things and set up the kit and I mean it's it's not as easy as looking on your tablet or not wherever. at all yeah. yeah so and I, I think that's like a real challenge to yeah. the medium at the moment and some of the probably some of the best examples of VR at the moment are as installations in galleries in places where all the kits set up where it's really exciting to go there and do something you've got the time because you've decided to go and yeah. Be, in, be in this space for a while I think within our busy lives it doesn't it, it doesn't to me right at the moment fit with like checking your news feed oh quick I'll put on a pair of VR goggles yeah. and just see what that actually feels like you know we're, we're definitely not there now but I think when technology develops and we get wearable technology and the kind of the difference between reading something watching something will will change when it's you know glasses mm. or contact lenses I know, or it's always, it's always sli are. slightly hard to imagine until we're yeah. there right because you think about the smartphone for example yeah, yeah. I mean it was it's sort of implausible in a way yeah. until, until suddenly it's here and I guess it's a similar thing with VR we're kind of still yeah, waiting completely. to but and just the last thing in this section like do you do you feel um the emotional resonance 
is added when you do something in VR because that always seems to me an aspect that's very possible with VR in a way. Yeah, I think the potential's there. I mean, I've seen quite a lot of VR pieces where that isn't the case. Yeah, (laughs) it's really possible (laughs) to make like 360 VR pieces which leave you emotionally cold, but I mean... Yeah, but the potential. The potential is absolutely there, you know, um, to be right in the middle of something or to feel that you've got agency and you are making something happen or the, the, the decisions are on you. Yeah. Um, I think can be hugely, hugely impactful. So, um, yeah, I want to see that explored more. Mm. Yes, that's the thing I felt, because I've seen a few, I guess actually mainly through work, really, where it is often set up in advance for you and does make it easy. But once you get kind of past the excitement of being in the headset, which obviously is an excitement (laughs) to start with, the the next thing I want is that kind of film level of... of, I don't know, emotional involvement, yeah. really. Which... Uh, yeah, and we're not... I mean, just the form hasn't developed very yeah. much yet. And, and in a way, that's exciting because there's, like, open possibilities right now in terms of, like, what you create, how what is, the, what is the form. But it means there's, like, you know, not lots of really fantastic content out there yet. Yeah. Um, Still quite embryonic. Yeah, but, I mean, that's why it's quite fun that's how too. it starts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So going back a little bit, where did you begin? I mean, where did your journey to VR begin? Because you studied music, is that right? I did. I studied classical music. Okay, originally. so that seems quite removed. <laughs> <laughs> I see it all as having a kind of coherence somehow. Um, I am, yeah, I'm so I've got a, I'm a, you know, got a background in composition and in, you know, in music and, you know, immersing people in something that is strongly emotional Mm. and um, takes you, takes you somewhere else, makes you feel something else. I think, you know, music, as all people who are making films, they know that when you put in the music, that's what gives it, you know, the emotion. You decide what is this, what is this scene going to be like? Then you put in the music that does that to you. So... I think that the ability to kind of make you feel strongly about something, that, that's the through line. Yeah. And um, I went, after doing music, I then went to work for the BBC for the Classical Music Station Radio 3 okay. Okay. for several years, but kind of got more and more interested in documentary making. Experimental radio features, radio art, documentary, human interest storytelling. I did lots of kind of reporting work for Radio 4. Mm-hmm. Um, and loved that. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed actually um, kind of very kind of personal storytelling. Um, and when you say experimental, can you talk a little bit about that? Was it experimental sure. in terms of tech or was it at that stage more in terms of the style of, of doing it? At that stage, it's style. And um, I still actually do occasionally make features, experimental radio features still. So there's an experimental strand on Radio 3 called Between the Ears, which is basically a kind of sound art experimental slot. And I still you know, still make stuff for that for that strand because I'm interested, always interested in breaking form and experimenting. In an example, the one of the last pieces I made for them now a few years ago, but it was around um, the the lead the preg- pregnancy in the lead up to, to birth, and I gave six women uh, recorders, got them to record everything, including birth, and then wow. worked with a performance poet to um, a poet, Lem Sissi, to write a poem that wove through all of these tape recordings that these women had recorded. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm interested in like that as a new, you know, what is a, you know, what is a kind of observational documentary radio poem? 
yeah. like, that's a, as a new form. So that's the kind of thing that I'm right from the beginning was interested in, kind of pushing what pushing what these kind of traditional forms yeah. look like. And, and what then was your journey to The Guardian? So The Guardian was just setting up a podcasting department. Okay. There was one person there. But even then, because this was back in 2006, was it? This was so, 2006. So that must have been yeah. reasonably early days of the podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's very little happening then. Um, they, yeah, they advertised and I, you know, I'd been doing a lot of reporting work and wanted to do more of that. I also had got quite a technical background. I'd originally gone to the BBC as a sound, a trainee sound engineer, because I've always been a bit techie and interested in that as well. So I'd got quite a lot of kind of technical skills, like podcasting in those days, I guess, like they still are now, you know, you have to be able to do everything from script right. Yeah. know about the politics be able to record it's it quite all, DIY, all, all it? of it yeah, yeah. and so I had a I had a bit of I had a bit of all, all of those um and moved to the Guardian when they were down in Farringdon Road and we had a, a broom cupboard like you yeah know, and but they were presumably quite open to the idea as with the VR of trying this stuff out they saw the possibilities the they? Guardian have always been really open about innovation and experimentation and the editor-in-chief then was Alan Rusbridger who has really embraced digital like right from the start mm. and so he and and he loved radio and loved the idea of podcasting was really kind of enthusiastic about the idea of experimenting in what podcasting could be and so very quickly from being from just doing a kind of regular um news podcast we then had football podcasts i launched a podcast around um, Islamic well, is Islamic life for, for young young people in Britain mm-hmm. um, politics books culture I mean the scope is huge you know. isn't it with podcasts especially I think that yeah, yeah the more huge. niche the better exactly <laughs> and it was hugely fun just to be you know it, you know throwing yourself into a new subject every you know every few months launching these things and yeah. going and were you carrying on with your own sound pieces outside of the well, more journalistic stuff? At the time then, I started, I'd moved to Hackney relatively, which is a, in East London. I'd re- moved there and was really interested in um, what was like quite a fastly developing area. So I'd started my own podcast at the same time as moving to The Guardian. So, um, what I was your was, podcast about? So it was a lot about local life there, but I was using all my kind of experimental techniques to be essentially making kind of composed radio features as well as interviews with local writers and graffiti artists and Ooh. historians and you know market traders. So I'd just spend all my free time roaming around with a microphone, doing you know sound recordings, field recordings, interviewing people and trying to kind of put it together. So it was my space to be pushing form on my own at that time, um, even though The Guardian was very open to kind of what we were doing, I was just, yeah. I had a kind of appetite for just like pushing with sound what could be done. Yeah, yes. And then the sort of leap to VR, I mean, was it a leap? Do you remember the first VR experience you had? I, in between doing podcasting and VR, I had a very open role, special projects editor role at The Guardian. And it was to basically be looking at what tech and story okay. could be doing. I'd I'd been, in my free time, I'd been making a whole load of um, geolocated sound apps. So depending on where you walk, different stories were triggered. So I did one in Soho, I did one in 
Manhattan Gardens. I did one in Hackney. I did some in New York. Okay. Um, so they so were these basically were bringing up people's stories there, were they as well? Yeah, but okay. depending on where you walk, so they were kind of non. They were non-linear. Wherever right. you walked, you would be getting different stories linked okay. to those locations. Fun. Yeah. So um, I was kind of splitting my time between running my own production company, making these apps, and doing kind of innovation at The Guardian. They kind of were just kind of interested in if you kind of take this idea of just seeing where tech's going and, and you know, and you've got The Guardian at your disposal, what does that look like? Yeah. So I made one of these geolocated apps for them around the area. We just moved into King's Cross. And then I started making interactive documentaries. So just pulling together graphics and film and sound and data and good writing from our journalists and mm. making them into kind of multimedia platform bit of text you know around the same time as snowfall came out at the new york times which was a big a big moment in terms of publishing i suppose and showing how publishing could meet broadcasting in some ways that it was very immersive so i worked with developers and designers to make something called firestorm which was an equivalent yeah so i made that and several other kind of interactive documentaries looking at i mean it was it was as it, kind of looking at it, it's, it's basically all around immersive media. How can you bring these stories into the kind of kind of very visceral, immersive forms and use the different forms to their strengths? So you can use the sound to sound design. You can use these beautiful, lush pictures to like sit behind the text. Mm. Um, and so I spent a, a several years playing around, working with developers and designers, playing with different kinds of um, online web kind of uh, pieces. And then I went to a festival in um, in Amsterdam, IDFA, the International Documentary Festival, which I always go to. And they had some VR pieces. This was several years ago. And I was like, that, right, this is it. This is, what, this is what we need to do next, what I need to do next, what The Guardian needs to do next. Okay, it was um, obvious. Then, yeah, was it was really yeah. obvious. And I was working with some other colleagues on a, around a large project around solitary confinement. Mm. And thought well you know this is this is perfect it's a it's a story all about space and your position in this space even though it's very small and it's confined and it's uncomfortable and it's ugly as well mm. um it's all about your relationship with being in this environment which is what i think vr does really really well so um it was it was quite hard to to make it because these things take money so I did a whole load of fundraising and got grants and bits of money from here and there okay so this because the re- recent stuff Google have been backing is that's that right? right yeah I but mean Google pre- did give us some money for this project but I got money from um, the Tribeca Film Festival I got money from a company called Chicken and Egg Productions that supports female directors um, and I worked with The Mill that's a post-production Ooh. company who also, um, you know, were, were keen to to work on this project with us, and so I flew to the states. I interviewed ten um, people who had previously been in solitary confinement, and got lots of sound recordings from solitary confinement um, cells, um, which um, Frontline had been working on a documentary. And I kind of melded this all together to have these basically these kind of um these inmates talking to you you know in the second person as if you were in 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 solitary confinement and basically it gives you the impression that you are kind of losing your mind because there's huge amounts of psychological implications about being um in solitary confinement and having sensory deprivation you begin to kind of hallucinate um visually you can see things you can hear things blurred vision um or or more likely to self-harm so i took this idea of 
what what like what is it like to basically lose your mind while you're in solitary confinement and that's what that experience is mm. so it took me um a year to make that i was going to say cuz presumably you had to on a practical level as well learn how you make things yeah. work in vr i, I mean, mean it's a done. whole different way of filming no, or we made it we yeah we made it in cgi i'd never done anything in cgi i didn't even know, know what like Okay. Just stood for, and so I didn't know that what that by meant. Working with Emil, was that? Yeah. Did they sort of yeah. work together? Because I guess they were learning too in terms of that medium, perhaps. They knew how. To, they knew how to. They kind of knew what they were doing in terms of. They'd made some VR pieces before. They knew CGI really, really well. That's what they do. Um, I think in terms of storytelling and working in journalism, that was new for them. So yeah. we did lots of prototypes of, you know. Um, if you see someone in your corner of your, your eye, what's that look like? And does it look like a ghost or does it look like yeah. a person? You know, because <laughs> like for us, the you know the journalism is really, really important. It has to be, even though these are kind of artistic interpretations, journalism has to be like rock solid. Yeah. So you can't start making up this kind of like horror story version of, you know, going insane. That's just wasn't... Yes, especially if you're working with people's real testimonies. Absolutely, you have to be faithful to them. And we spent a lot of time sending the images of the cells that the mill had created, sending them back to the people I'd interviewed. Did did this look what it was like? Where did you put your clothes? Where did you put your books? Did it look like it? And they would give comments back saying, you'd never have the inside of a toilet roll because you weren't allowed that. Your your toothbrush, you weren't weren't allowed that because that would be like equivalent of a weapon. So details are important. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. and so it was interesting, I think, for them to be experiencing, you know, rather than a commercial kind of client, what what, yeah. what, what a newspaper would would consider. Yes, and, and is that, do you think that's unusual? Because often journalists wouldn't, I mean, I suppose with a, a story like that, you would go back to your source to be careful. But that level of involvement is unusual, presumably. Yeah. In I, the, piece of journalism yeah because a lot of journalism is done much much faster I yeah. mean it would be accurate like I, I would say that all of our sort of fact checking in a different kind of way we do it? do fact checking but it's just that it's, it's such a kind of new medium that that kind of like how do we make something that is CGI is C, you, know, you know a lot of questions around which I've been asked is you know is CGI journalism yeah. itself because it's ultimately it's fake. not real <laughs> the, you know it's not film moment. so yeah. you know we had Lots of conversations around. I mean, I I didn't have, I felt like all of the checking that we did along the way, huge amounts. We worked with Solitary Watch, a charity, around what that cell would look like and the dimensions and everything around it. So I felt like it was solid. But, you know, different organisations are used to doing um, journalism in different ways. The New York Mm. Times has done almost all films pieces and they're very careful about how they say they've constructed the pieces and how they're edited and if they do any post-production to get rid of stitch lines or cameras they're very very explicit about that so different organizations have definitely got different ways of approaching vr that they think is is there's almost there's sort of an interesting philosophical question in that in some ways because obviously arguably i mean photojournalism as soon as you put a photograph in black and white, you know, you've, you've yeah, changed it from the reality, it. haven't you? So there's a... Yeah. But I suppose it's when it's unfamiliar technology, maybe those questions are even more important. Absolutely. And I had, I, I, you know, I've been on numerous kind of discussion panels around the ethics of um, VR and what, mm. you know, what is proper journalism and what isn't. Um, and maybe it's because I've worked at The Guardian so long that I just feel like it's kind of ingrained in me what's, yeah. what is good, proper kind of um kind of checking of 
of how you're interpreting that story. But, you know, all of the pieces that we've done, even putting someone in a first-person perspective is a conceit of itself. Yeah. And that yes, is, it, yeah. you know, that is that is the way that we've, you know, I've decided to kind of interpret VR rather than a more kind of photorealistic documentary style. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, you know, I think that's one of the interesting things about the medium. And so I wanted to explore that. Yes. So following that piece, and that piece had a reasonable amount of success, didn't it? It, yeah. it toured as well. Yeah, it went to Sundance, Tribeca. It t- was taken to the White House. They did a kind of interactive installation on the White House lawn. Right. This is in Obama's time, Ronald Trump's time, of course. That's unsurprisingly. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it was successful. And after that, we talked to Google about um, working with them um, while they were kind of launching their Daydream headsets and doing a, a kind of um, series of 12 pieces over the next two years. Okay, so that must have felt like, okay, there's time, room to breathe a bit. Yeah, then. I mean, yeah. 12 pieces are, is a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's been, you know, we then set up a kind of VR studio and um, we've got a, a Unity developer, we've got um, a, a producer who runs the studio and several directors so we could set up a team, but it still is, you know, it's, that is, it's a very fast turnaround. Yeah. And so the workflow um, was has been really challenging. How do okay. you make a piece? Essentially, every six weeks it was. You yeah. Know, yes. Which is like... When they could be like almost a feature film in yeah. some ways. Yeah. And so we've had you know many productions happening simultaneously and just okay. trying to also, you know, figure out what different techniques, how complicated they are, and which what you can do quicker, what takes slower, kind of where, you know, how ambitious to be on a piece in terms of its storyline as well, not just they kind of, do you do it as um, scanned point cloud, do you do it as CGI, do you do it as tilt brush drawn, do you do it as filmed, like some lots of those things, we didn't really know the implications of yeah. how, how expensive it was, whether it was possible to make these things on phones, you know, loads of kind of learnings in yeah, terms of like huge. oh my god yeah. this just doesn't run on a telephone yeah yeah damn, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of that which ones do you feel have been for you the mo- i mean I, I was gonna say most successful but i obviously yeah. there's loads of measures of success yeah. but which ones do you personally feel most pleased with or proud of for doing yeah i think the ones that really suit the form the best are well we relative we recently launched a piece called songbird which is um around extinction um, of birds in Hawaii, okay. and we had sound recordings of um, some birds that have are now extinct, and we decided oh. to um, recreate um, in in a painted. So we worked with a painter who created a a three D model painted landscape of Kauai, and then we used these. Um, we're calling them sonic fossils because they're sounds of things that no longer exist mm. and created um, almost a fairy story of going and finding this the oo the last the last oo bird and following it and recording its its voice and and interacting with it which yeah. was um and and we had a, we we talked to a um, an ecologist who had who had spotted the last oo and recorded its sound and then played it back and the oo thought it had heard its mate and flew back over to mm. to see it and it wasn't there. Yeah. So that's oh, a lovely, beautiful story. That <laughs> and seems like a relation, perhaps, to your sound works there yeah, too, in a way. The location yeah. and the absolutely the sound focus. Yeah. And I think doing something in a painted, beautiful, painted world, but it being about something that's deeply important, which is yeah. you know, that a quarter of a quarter of all of the, the kind of birds in the world are 
are, are endangered. Yeah, there's a journalistic story. Absolutely, cool. even yeah. though it's kind of got this element of beauty and of you know sound, very rich sound design. So, I'm very fond of that piece, and I think it pushed pushed VR in, in a different way that hadn't been done. And and I'm very fond of the baby piece and the and the solitary confinement piece. I would say those are like the ones probably nearest to my heart. Yes. And so what now? Because you're just about to go to Harvard. I am, to, yeah. So can you talk a bit about what's, sure. what that's all about? Um, so there is an organisation called the Neiman Foundation that is part of Harvard University that supports 25 um, journalists from around the world each year to come to Harvard. And it's a time really to, um, to kind of uh, broaden yourself. So you can do any classes you want at MIT and Harvard wow. for the year. Jeez. You can pick you know, anything from... You know, going to, going in and and spending time with the with the tech people in MIT to the business school. And you can dip the, in and out. Presumably. You can dip can in you? and out. You can do the whole course. It's really up to you to kind of okay put that together. And then you support the the other journalists together. You spend time with them as well, getting to know them and support each other. So is an incredibly interesting mix of people from around the world. In my in my year, mm. we meet in a couple of weeks. Um, and then golly what, what fun yeah. I'm quite jealous yeah I'm really <laughs> excited presumably quite nice to have a point of reflecting after exactly. having had this very intense year absolutely yeah. I mean I think that newsrooms I mean all of our lives are bustling from one thing to the next and it's mm. hard to take breath I think newsrooms are very very busy places and I've certainly like you know even though it's been really varied, kind of run really from one thing to the next, and certainly the last two years trying to get all these pieces yeah. done in quite a tight time frame, I think you know taking breath, looking at looking at all of the different technologies that are being developed at the moment, thinking what's interesting out there, how could they be interpreted, talking to technologists about like how you know if you were a journalist, if you were a storyteller. What could what would you do? What you know, mm. what could we do together in finding ways people to collaborate with and and also thinking about the industry as well. It's you know, one of the challenges of working in a newsroom being interested in new tech is like the logistics of it. Yeah. It's expensive, it's expensive to prototype, it's expensive to take these um, into your kind of mainstream output. And how do you make those decisions of how to approach that, the mm. prototyping and the kind of uh, building up stage, and um, how do you fund it as well? Do you let tech companies fund it? Do you let commercial organisations fund it? Do you fund it even though you're a poor newspaper? Yeah. Um, so all of those questions. I have thought that, especially with things like we mentioned Snowfall earlier, that you have these sort of peak moments where everyone goes, wow, this is the possibilities. But off, you know, the possibilities are actually difficult to maintain on that Absolutely. level so things seem to kind of come in and then move on and maybe some part yeah. of it will stay and but with VR that's you know it's really a whole it's a whole other way of doing things so yeah I think I think it will be incorporated at the moment it feels utterly different from and, yeah. and kind of separate because there are these goggles you put on but it the only way for it to work is it to be more integrated yeah I think and that will be through the our tech as much yeah. as the yeah. making of stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yes so. So then to, to finish, I mean, I was going to ask a thing about the future, but obviously the future of VR, I feel we've all sort of, we all sort of tried to dwell on that over the last few years, and yeah. it's, it's so unpredictable. But are there things you, you hope to, to see come through beyond just the, the kind of integration into regular life more? And are there things you personally would like to do? I mean, would you like to do a VR feature film? or oh, That feels such hard work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not right now. 
um, I want to continue experimenting. I really felt like now we've made 12, 13 pieces, I'm beginning to go, oh, that works, that doesn't work. Yeah. And um, so, I, you know, I want to keep working on that. Um, I think that the duration of it is tricky. You know, it's, it's horrible having these goggles on your face for any more than 15 mm. minutes, really, at the moment. Yeah, and, and there's still nausea issues occasionally, yeah. aren't there? So I just, I don't think we're ready. For, I personally, I'm certainly not ready to, like, the scale of making something like that. It takes so long to iterate each minute that you make. Yeah. It's really hard to get it right. I, so I'm more up for, like, experimenting with techniques, technical techniques, storytelling techniques, I'm quite. I'm interested in, in kind of multiplayer techniques. Like mm. What's it like if other, you know, other people are with you in those environments and you can interact with them? If you can, you know, more in terms of decision making and yeah. agency. Like I think that having worked kind of on the edge of kind of gaming practices, theatre practices, art, and straight journalism documentary, there's still it's still clunky intersections, mm. and so I feel like. There's still so much more work to be done, even within short form VR, and just like how can you make people feel like they're essentially got agency or in something, and it is still journalism and documentary, and it's got a narrative arc, and it's got tension, it's got resolution. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm lots small of steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Well, I think that seems a good note to to leave it on, unless there's any other nuggets no, of absolutely. VR advice. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for doing this. It's been Pleasure. great to talk to you. And uh, you can read more about Francesca and the rest of the Creative Leaders 50 for Creative Review this year at creativereview.co.uk. Thanks. Thank you.